I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We have theater stories and something that rhymes with that. And it's season seven, and I'm still not figuring out an intro. It's it's theater it's still, stories, y'all. Theater stories, title and workshop. Look, there's a writer's strike, so I, I can't um, come up with something new. Yeah. Um, how are you? I'm great. Um, what's the dental update? Got two teeth. Wow. How does it feel? It feels weird. Weird good, weird bad? Weird good. How's the eating going? Better. Interesting. Yeah, I can really chomp. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Can you really you can really eat the scenery. You can really chomp down. Chew the scenery. Now I order celery on everything. Oh, wow. Just an extra heaping of celery. Celery chips. Celery <laughs> pancakes. Celery pizza. Celery souffle. <laughs> um... Hey, uh, I wanted to start out by thanking, uh, yet again, our sustaining Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for all you do. We really appreciate you. Uh, the things that you do uh, help support things like our upcoming Find Your Light Act 2 at the Lyceum on September 26th at 7.30 p.m. This is not the same thing as what we debuted in February. We're trying to put together a... Um, review of music that Matthew and I had written over the past years and we did an act one and this time we're doing a second act. This one is a lot different. I would say it's a lot more upbeat. I would say it's a lot more fun. It's a lot more playful. Yeah. Um, So anyway, that's Find Your Light, um, Tuesday, September 26th at 7.30 at the Lyceum. Please come on out and see it. Tickets are only $25. Uh, Matthew and I are going to be singing, and there's going to be a guest star. Um, so there's there's a lot to come out for. Um, all right. Hold on. We will be right back. Oh my god, we are all over the place today. We forgot to say our guest is the one, the only, Donna Migliaccio! In 1985, Tyler was meeting Justin at their favorite arcade, Longshot. Just as Justin was about to confess his love for Tyler, the world changed. Blending elements of 1980s pop culture and LGBTQIA fiction, we journey through this incredible experience that brings them closer together as they fight against a world trying to keep them apart. Listen to Longshot on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. For generations, people in Fairfax, Virginia have heard tales of the Bunny Man. Now, Bunny Man Brewing offers a tasty array of high-quality microbrews with a rotation of unique flavors. Come by to have a sample and maybe even catch a glimpse of the legendary hopper. But bring a friend, because you don't ever want to drink alone. Check our hours and see what's on tap at bunnymanbrewing.com. All right, we are here with one of my favorite 
actresses all time of the DC area. And just to commemorate her uh, arrival, Eddie is humping Byron on the couch. Um, <laughs> We're off to a good start. Donna Migliaccio, welcome to the living room. I'm so glad to be here. I haven't seen you guys in an age. It's been a COVID couple years. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, as you know, are, are talking theater stories with our friends, and I am going to start uh, coaxing. Uh, you probably have many memories, way predating me and whatever, but, but the first <laughs> show I ever did with you was 2000's Gypsy, uh-huh. Signature Theater, 23 years ago, hard to believe. And You were just a baby. I was. I was. Bjork! Cute little baby. 22 <laughs> years old, fresh out of college. Um and Bjork. No. Bjork. Oh <laughs> Bjork Lee. Yeah, I was thinking with an accent. We did Gypsy set in a train station, uh-huh. which was interesting. Uh-huh. And um, I had to bump into you in the what we called Look at the Crazy Lady Crosses before. <laughs> um, you should probably explain that. So I don't know if I can. It was, it was, she was. I thought you did it for me, Mama. Conceptually. It was set at the crossing of a railroad yeah, track. Yeah, and conceptually yeah. what had happened was when uh, Gypsy Rosalie and Rose had their big final argument, the theory or the, the conceit of the show was that rather than go step out onto the stage and do Rose's turn, Rose went home, packed a suitcase, and went to the train station and had this big monologue out in front of everybody and so all these people were crossing back and forth around and in front of me and bumping into me, you bumping into me as I was trying to do the big speech that led into Rose's turn wow and uh, it was just one of the hardest things I've ever tried to do and, and through previews they snipped more and more people out of it so eventually it was only me in a suitcase um, but yeah it was yeah I can still almost see that set. It was crazy. Yeah, it had, uh, it had railroad tracks running diagonally. Which is interesting for a dance show. Sure was. Yeah. <laughs> Deanna, Deanna, um, one of Harris? These, yeah. Yeah. Was fantastic. Yep, she was. I was like, Kamala Harris, that's not right. Deanna Harris, yes. Cause, <laughs> Deanna because Harris she's Gearsman now. Yes. And that's, uh-huh. yeah. I, I can't. Love you, Deanna. Deanna, we miss you. Um, was Who fantastic. was the guy? Uh, Larry Redmond. Was it Larry Redmond? Yeah. 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 He played Herbie. Jeffrey right. Shankle was in there. Jeffrey Shankle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Camp was in it. Lori, Jerry Edelin. Lori Kraft burnt herself with uh, the light up Electra oh, suit. That's right. Oh, good Lord. That was like put together. With... It's something that happens with every Electra. They all get burnt. But the electricity goes haywire and burns them at some point. You got to be a glutton to do that role, right? <laughs> How was it doing that role or doing a different role when in the remount at the new signature? Well, uh, uh, the, the strippers in Gypsy are kind of like they're princess parts. Yeah, it's some great. shows they try to make you play moms in the very opening of the show, but Joe Calarco directed and he did not want us to be seen. So he had like girls that were in the ensemble that played um, the backup act. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had them play the moms. So uh, Tracy Oliveira and uh, me and what can I think of it? Uh, Sandy Bainham yep. played the strippers. And we basically sat in our dressing room and maybe about half hour, you know, while everybody else was getting crazy dressed, we were just sitting around. Once they went on stage, then we started doing our beat and putting on all of our feathers and sequins and all that other stuff. And I have 
great photos of us like sitting there. I was writing a book at the time. So there's a picture of me in full Mazeppa drag with the helmet and the big bow of feathers and all that with my reading glasses perched on the end of my nose, typing away on my tablet. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Tracy used to use that time to make a lot of internet contact. Like uh, Instagram or, or Facebook. Yeah, or well, and she was also heavily pregnant at the time. Oh yeah, too, which so figured into the costume. Really interesting costume. Oh yeah. gosh, it was, <laughs> it was the best trio. Uh, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, and it, the thing is, is it, they're killer roles because you sit around all night, then you walk on and stop the show dead. Yeah, and go off stage and put your feet up again and eat a yeah. piece of pizza or something like that. Come on for the bow. Yeah, and. I remember I was bartending the night this happened, but the original Mazeppa, Faith, is that her Faith name? Dane. Okay, she yeah. came, and we I got a photo of you two. Um, yeah, she, Faith was an interesting character, and I had been forewarned that the first time that we did Gypsy in the garage at Signature, back before Signature got bigger, um, she had come when we were doing auditions and demanded to be seen. Oh, I Mazeppa. did not know yeah, that! Because she felt like the role belonged to her. God. And in fact, when, I mean, because she originated the role, uh -huh. and she claims that she came up with the idea for the trumpet and the whole nine yards, and later when they revived it on Broadway, she demanded to have the part, because she said, you know, I, but she was older, and they weren't interested in her, and they basically, she, she said that it was hers. And so there is now a clause in most contracts that says mm -hmm. it's stuff that you come up with on stage for a show, it's not yours. It belongs to the show. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting and not particularly fair, but no. you know, how are you going to prove, oh, I came up with that? So yeah, I had been warned that... Conversely, how are you not going to get cast into your right. 70s right. for a role you're not so, appropriate for? So Faith came in, when I, I heard that she was in the audience, I thought, I need to make certain that I do this right because I want to honor what she does. Sure. You know, what she had done. So she was wearing a leopard print coat and a turban. Yeah. And was she wearing sunglasses? Yes, she was. Yeah, at night. sunglasses. Yep. And she had brought her trumpet. Oh. And so when I heard she was out there, I said, all right, let me prep myself. And then I went out. I saw her, and I went to one knee and genuflected before her. And she was my friend. So because I honored, I respected her. I yep. played homage to what she was, what she had done, and she could not have been more delightful, but I thought, ooh, this could get a little sticky. Right, <laughs> right, right. She had a hard time when we had done it the first time. Um, she was told, no, you can't read for the role, it's already cast. Well, how can you do that? I originated the part, so. Wow. <laughs> so that was interesting. Wow, wow. Um, we did a lot of shows together. We did. And some which we never should have done, Pacific Overtures, um, <laughs> where you were the reciter and we were all very white. You know, it, it's, it was yeah. one of those things where, I mean, I was pushing Eric to cast the show with all women. Mm -hmm. uh, because, if you didn't know, Kabuki was started by women. Yeah. Started by the courtesans. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to return it to what it was? But... Um, we just, there wasn't, he had already cast it pretty much. So, uh, yeah, we never should have done that. Wasn't there an evening when Stevie Cooper went on for Donna? Yeah. And then he said, <laughs> he said the line, a piece of gossip from a noodle pusher. Oh, God. The thing was, is that back in the day, 
in the, in the old building, understudies were never ready to go on. No. And it turned out what my problem was. I thought I had some terrible respiratory thing. I had reflux. Uh, because I was you basically were pushing I was, from the basement. Yeah, I was, pushing, I was singing baritone. Right. In the middle of the world, we float. In the middle of the sea, I can do it now without a problem because I'm much older. But you hadn't done it. But I hadn't done it before, and I was just right, drawing I my now. voice. So I had to go on vocal rest and missed, I think, three shows. You the the show <laughs> that we knew. Shit, Donna's going to be out. Mm-hmm. The last line of the play that you had to speak, you were like, "Welcome to Joy." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we were all like, <laughs> "I know." One of those oh, things. God. Uh, it's just it's awful when you break on stage like oh. that. I, and when I was really suffering with it before I had gotten um, gotten diagnosed, uh-huh. with that was what my problem was. I would be sitting in the back during one of Will's big either speeches or songs or something. Like, <coughs> I couldn't leave, you know. I was set dressing. I had to scream at the end of it or something like that. Yeah, but yeah. It was just it was nuts. The things that we go through, working sick, working hurt, all the time, all the time, because that's what the expectation is. And now that I'm older and crabbier, I don't do it. And I constantly, when the few times that I teach now, because I think I've gotten too crabby to teach anymore, I tell people is the show must go on is bullshit. Sorry. You yeah. can bleep that if you need no, to. No, we don't. We you cuss. have to look after yourself. You have to stay well for yourself because if you get ill, if you you know have some issue that arises out of working ill or working hurt, down the road, producer isn't going to care about you. They're not going to look after you. So you have to look after yourself because your equipment is your body. And if you mess up your equipment, that's the end of your career. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> um there, uh, there have been so many moments uh, that we've shared through the years on stage, uh, whether it's those shows that we've talked about, um, Highest Yellow, oh um, <laughs> which which I loved. I loved it too. Um, His heart is mm-hmm. too big. Beautiful music, beautiful score. Yeah. I'm glad that some of it got uh, put into his songbook that you can yeah. buy. I think at least maybe We're talking about highest. Michael John McCusin. Michael John, yes, a wonderful friend of the podcast. Um, uh, there was, God, trying to think back. So Gosh, we could do a podcast I about still that. have a Swatch watch that he gave me. Did I ever show that to you? No. It's a pink Swatch watch back in the old, you know, oh, yeah. when Swatch was a thing. And uh-huh. if you press certain buttons on it, it has bunny rabbits on it. Uh-huh. And basically, it's bunny rabbits having sex, and so you press a button, and the, and the, the hands of the watch run around until it settles on one position. Uh, and I still have it. I pulled it out the other day. I said, "Oh my God, Michael John gave me this. I could never get rid of it." That's so weird. We saw him um, at the. They did a screening of Hello Again at the Draft House. Oh. And he came, and we it was like sold out, but we got tickets. <laughs> Me you and Warren went, and he actually signed the like printed out ticket that we had to get in. Oh my god! He was, he was so we, sweet. We sat together at the Candy Center where they were presenting Nevermore in the Highest Yellow at the Millennium Stage, and when they went to introduce him, he gestured to me. And they said, "Ladies and gentlemen, the composer is here, Michael John Lacusa," and he gestured to me, and I was like, uh, <laughs> "Not really sure what's happening," but he was such a oh, character. He was a, he was a sweetie pie. He yeah. is a sweetie pie. We yeah. tried to God we 
finally nailed it, but learning the Mistral Wind thing oh, was like was so me, you, and R. Scotty were the like Greek chorus of crazies, and it was it was a difficult show to learn. And so super I hard. still remember. If you want to talk about weird things that happened on stage, I'm telling tales out of school here. But Mark Cutish, yes. who played Van Gogh, loved to mess with Jason Danieli, who was playing mm -hmm. uh, the Doctor in it. And he had the, the title number of the show, which was glorious. Uh, Mark would sing sitting in a bathtub, naked in a bathtub. And at the end of it, he would sink down into the, the tub, just disappear from sight. And it was one of those moments on stage where you just caught your breath because it was so, he'd hit this beautiful final series of notes and then just slide, I think he was singing, uh, let me disappear, let me disappear. And then he'd slide under the water out of the audience's sight. And eventually he'd you know, come, come back up, but mm -hmm. that was how the number ended. But he would do things during the number like, you know, fiddle with himself. Um, mm -hmm. We should probably not say that. <laughs> <laughs> underwater to distract Jason and make Jason crazy. Oh, he's playing the fiddle underwater. Is playing the fiddle, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Doing oh my underwater. gosh. So that would go on. He would try to break me up because I had to push him in on a gurney. And he would say, usually say something awful to me. Yeah. Right before I pushed him on to try to break me up, and uh, and I'm not you know stone on stage. I I'll crack up easily. <laughs> uh -huh. I remember when we were doing that show. Speaking of theater stories, Mark could tell you some theater stories, and Donna, I love you for all of your stories. And I remember there was a point I was in the men's dressing room. Harry was here. I was next to Harry. And the two of you were going, Mark and yourself, were going back and forth, back and forth, like a tennis match of stories. And Harry went, I don't know, he's pretty well matched. <laughs> Which led to a brilliant uh, performance that the two of you gave uh, as Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney in that concert, the 25th? I, no. The 25th anniversary it concert was the 15th, for Signature. It was the 15th. You're right, you're right. It was um, the 15th, and the thing was is that... Um, I don't. Norm was supposed to go. Norm Lewis was supposed to come down and do it, and at the last minute he couldn't, he couldn't make do it. it. Yeah. And Mark came in to do I think something from Highest Yellow or Witches of Eastwick. I don't remember which. Um, it must have been Highest Yellow because I don't think Witches had happened yet. No, correct. But yeah. um, I said, you know, Mark, this is a role that you need to do. You mm -hmm. need to do Sweeney. You would be a wonderful Sweeney, and I still think that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, I bet you can learn this. So basically challenged him. Mm -hmm. I said, we're going to end up losing this number. Uh, and I, you could kick this out of the ballpark. And he did it. And mm -hmm. it was amazing. And I still would love, I would still line up and pay money to see Mark Kudish do Sweeney Todd. We love him. We adore him. He's a sweet guy and a yeah. brilliant performer. He was just in that, um, Bob, um, the musical, who's the folk rock singer Bob Dylan. The Bob Dylan oh, show. Okay. The girl who something. Love Tom Gordon. No, that's the Stephen King. <laughs> that's Stephen King. The girl from the North Country or yeah, something, something like that. Yeah, something like that. I don't remember. Um, oh, yeah. Because so. I think we talked to yeah. him and he said how amazing it was, but then COVID happened. Um, so outside of Signature and are the three of us, what are some things that when you're flipping through the scrapbook of your mind just come up as those instances that are like indelible that you can't forget well I mean as far as as things that happened to me on stage um, one of my first professional jobs in this area was 
the Mrs. Foggy Bottom Show, which used to be run out of the Marquee Lounge at the Shoreham Hotel. And those who are old enough to remember Mark Russell um, would know that that's where he used to do his act. Um, it's now, I think, they use it for luggage or something like that. But it used to be quite a smart little performance space with a bar and everything. Connecticut Avenue? Uh, the Shoreham Hotel. Is it Connecticut Avenue? I think it Avenue? is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been ages since I've been down there, but um, yeah, because I think I know of that beautiful, yeah, it's a beautiful little space, area, a little yeah. jewel box of a space, yeah, um, mm. but it's no longer used as a performance space to my knowledge. Anyway, I was brought in as a New Year's Eve understudy uh, for the Mrs. Foggy Bottom and Friends show, which was political, satirical, musical review, and uh, so it was kind of you know black tie for the men and cocktail dresses for the ladies so I had you know a, a foo-foo cocktail dress and stiletto heels and all that and one of the numbers that we did was called sleaze which was about how the women in, in DC had to be just as sleazy as the men to get ahead and basically it was three the three women of the ensemble sitting on stage wearing these big floppy bows uh, with their black cocktail dress because the floppy bow was a thing that you wore back in the you know 1980s um, the, the suit with a uh, blouse that had a floppy bow and oftentimes pale colored stockings with dark pumps that was the look so we were doing that look and anyway what eventually happened was we would rip off these bows and do this whole bump and grind number with it <laughs> and one of the steps was I had to fling my leg up on top of these black plastic folding chairs that we had. And these were not like heavy duty plastic, they were lightweight. And saw underneath my leg with this big bow. And I was anxious because it was, it was my first time going on in the show. It was New Year's Eve. <laughs> and I threw my, uh, my leg up there and my stiletto heel punched a hole right through the base of the chair. <laughs> It did a starburst fracture. My foot went through and it grabbed me by the calf. Oh God. So I had this leg, this chair <laughs> attached to my leg and I couldn't get it off. What, was it, did it cut you or? No, it didn't even run my pantyhose. That's how old this is. <laughs> we were wearing pantyhose. Um, I, the other two women kept doing the number but they were like darting me these horrified looks I guess because they were expecting me to start bleeding from veins or something. Yeah. And I hopped up stage, kicked my shoe off, managed to pry my foot out, slapped the shoe back on, and came back down stage and hit with this shimmy with everybody else. And I got a big hand from the audience, but it was one of the most horrifying moments was of say, my life were on they, stage. Was the audience laughing at the end? Laughing and gasping. Oh, you know, because like, I think they sure thought I was hurt too. But yeah. then when I bounced back, and it was just, and Tan Beerly Stewart was on, uh, was one of the ensemble members because it was always like a rotating cast of people that went through that show. And I remember when we bent down into the the shoulder shimmy, she goes, "Are you all right?" <laughs> <laughs> oh God! So yeah, that was I was very young then and bounced back quickly from stuff like that. You're indestructible when you're younger, yeah, right? I, less so all the time. But yeah, it was just things like that. That still makes me laugh to this day that I was able to get out of it and get back into the number. But it was so typical of the stuff that happens to you on stage where 
you're given so many opportunities to make an idiot of yourself in front of a paying audience. Yeah. And usually they love it. Yeah. Usually it's like that's the things that people that come to live theater live for. Yeah. Is stuff like that. Um, your purse caught fire. My purse, my purse <laughs> caught fire on stage the first time that Signature did it, the, the musical Assassins. I played Sarah Jane Moore, and the running gag was that Sarah Jane's gun would go off at weird and inopportune times in the show. And Maddie, you've done the show. Stephen, you've done the show, so you know all about that. And I had this big bag, big leather bag, that had a little interior pocket lined with acetate that I would put the gun in and I would shoot it off uh, because it was a sequence where I came in at the beginning of, it was me and Sherry Edelin, and it's called the Park Bench Sequence. It's the two women assassins talking about how they got where they, it leads into... Uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken? Or yeah, they're eating Kentucky practice. Fried Chicken and drinking Tab. And so the, tab, so the cans of Tab just had water in them. But I had to bring on the chicken, the cans of Tab, the purse, and then shoot off the, uh, uh, the gun in the purse as I came on. And so that was, you know what I did night after night after night and over time unbeknownst to me the acetate lining of this pocket was fraying and every time that you shoot off a, a, a blank pistol there are sparks and one night I had put the purse beside me on the on the park bench wagon and I started smelling something weird and I thought what is that? Is that is, and I glanced up at the rafters to see if one of the gels over one of the lights was burning or, time, yeah. or something like that. I was like, no, something is burning. And I'm trying to listen to Sherry, who had a long, long monologue. And I glanced down and I saw that my purse was glowing. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, there's you know ammo in the purse. You know, there were the the oh, pistol was wow. loaded with blanks. Oh my gosh! And because we had to shoot the guns at the end of the scene, we've shot at the Kentucky Fried Chicken box. So I picked it up and put it in my lap, and I saw Sherry clock it because it was a move I didn't normally do. And I folded my arms over top of it to try to suffocate the fire. Or pull the blanks into your <laughs> yeah, stomach. Pull the blanks into me to shoot myself in the stomach. No, and I thought that'll do it. And I, I, I thought I'd waited long enough, and she kept on going. And uh, I finally released my arms, and smoke came out of the purse. <laughs> and, I, and she gave me this sort of wild look, and I, I think I was communicating through my brain to her, just keep going, just keep going. And I took my can of tab and poured it into the purse. I don't really think the audience noticed. Right, right. Uh, well, why like, would they? They're Sherry so did. I mean, Sherry's so eyes just were like huge. And so it put the fire out, but it was like, is this gun going to fire at the end of this scene? All so right. it came to the end of the scene. So I pull out this wet, dripping gun, and the damn thing shot. I couldn't believe it. it was like, wow. Pow, 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 pow. But I thought, oh my Lord. And I came off stage, and everyone's like, what happened? What happened? Just like, purse caught fire. I took it backstage and turned it inside out because there were still some sparks going on. And then I sewed, because um, this was back in the day when you know you didn't have a props person, you basically took care of your stuff yourself. I sewed a, a um, canvas pocket into it and I would wet that pocket down every night before I went on. Wow, so, yeah, that's craziness. crazy. <laughs> um, I remember when we remounted the show that Matt and I were in, during the same scene, I think, 
you had a gun in your hand, you were aiming at the chicken uh, bucket, and somebody's cell phone went off in the audience, and you just looked <laughs> with the gun in your hand. Did I? Yes. I don't yes. remember You did not aim that. it, but you just kind of turned and looked to the person and had oh. the gun like this. That was the same, the it, same production where uh, when Will as... John Wilkes Booth was singing The Country Is Not What It Was which is a beautiful yeah. heartfelt song and one of the ushers that was sitting in the audience his cell phone went off and went off and went off and he actually answered it got up from his chair and started to move toward Will rather than go in the opposite direction I think he was confused and Will just sort of locked down and got through the number he said I just sort of sang the number to him and eventually he went away. But that's the kind of thing that happens in live theater. You just oh gotta God. be ready to roll with it. That's the same production that the three of us were in. Yeah. That people like fell off the stage. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. Aaron yeah. like fell she, off. But there was the, the blackout cloth. Uh -huh. So if you ran around a corner and you had shoes on that were a little bit slippery, high heels like Aaron did, she fell off and disappeared because she fell in between the gap of the cloth and the, so it's like you not only fell off the stage, but you were just gone and disappeared. The, you saw a hand yeah. come up. And when she, I was yeah. very young uh, and living in Hawaii, I did a production of uh, George Bernard Shaw. She never can. No, I'm sorry. It was Heartbreak House. It was the first one that I did, and I was the first person on stage. And what I had to do was walk on in a blackout, and there was this little pocket handkerchief of a stage that was maybe lifted a foot and a half off the seating area, and my first night out. I couldn't, I don't know whether they just hadn't spiked it with enough blow tape or what, but I stepped right off the stage and ended up in the audience. And, you know, and I had to like find my way back to where I could get back up in my period costume on the stage and sit down for the lights to come up. But it's one of those, if there's an opportunity to make an idiot of yourself on stage, it's going to happen. Well, it's like how many times can you get up on the horse before you fall? You exactly. <laughs> and have to keep getting back on that uh -huh. horse. Oh, God. I still remember when I was doing Ragtime, the revival of Ragtime mm -hmm. on Broadway. And you would think at the Broadway level this stuff would not happen. Mm -hmm. It does. Mm -hmm. We had the baby doll that played Cole House, little Cole House Walker, the baby. And it's an integral part of the scene. It gets handed around. And I don't know what was up with this baby doll. They have to be a certain weight and handle a certain way in order to look real. And one night, Christine, uh, Christiane Knoll, who was playing mother, had the baby in her arms. And however it was wrapped, it wasn't wrapped right. And its arm came off. <laughs> its arm came off and dropped to the stage. Well, that happened when they buried him in the ground. I know. <laughs> and God love Christopher Cox, the, the little boy who played the little boy. He had the presence of mind to reach down and pick it up and just sort of tuck it someplace out of sight. But the audience was screaming because it was so funny because suddenly the child, <laughs> little arms on the stage. So, you know, it happens everywhere. There's always something like that. Our mutual friend uh, Alicia Gamble, who played uh, Sarah in the production wonderfully, brilliantly played Sarah in Ragtime at Toby's Dinner Theater, where they didn't have the ground, so they had window boxes on the ground that there was a trowel in, and the baby... It was so confusing. It was like, when <laughs> I buried you in the window, window basket. Oh, just made me think of that. But um, uh, it, well, there was ground there. I mean, yeah, it was. I a mean, really... we do what we have to do. I right. Mean, you do what you have to do within 
the strictures of the theater or strictures of the set or the budget or whatever it, it is. Should have been buried you in the buffet, really. You know? Buried <laughs> you in the buffet. Um, what what other things stick out to you that um, that that you kind of can't unforget or unsee? Well, what was funny was I don't know how it came up today. Um, I was looking at my blog, which has been moribund for some time. I have not written anything new, but one of the last long, long, long blogs that I wrote was really just sort of unloading the whole experience I had had understudying Patti Lapone in War Paint. Yep. And remembering some of the things that went on backstage in that show and, you know, the, the swinging three ensemble roles in addition to covering a major part. And I don't, I know there were things that happened in that show where things went wrong and stuff like that, but so much of it passed in a blur for me because it was so difficult. It was one of the hardest jobs I've ever had, and I will never swing a show again. Not that anybody wants me to now, but um, yeah, it was just, it was a crazy year because it was a year up there doing, doing that. How was your relationship with Patty? It was fine, it was professional. Mm -hmm. I did not get in her face. I did not crowd her. Um, I mean, we were in the Nederlander, which is, I think, the second oldest theater on Broadway. And my dressing room was, or my dressing area was in the ensemble ladies' dressing room, which was on the fifth floor, and there is no elevator. Mm. So there were, I think, 11 women sharing this space. And there was an equivalent space on the fourth floor, which was for the three ensemble men and the two ensemble, the two male swings. And it was just like, where is this right? Where Why is this would right? you put the men below in, because women have to wear heels and right. stairs. And usually complicated costumes yeah, and yeah, all yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, that's dumb. And that's yeah, it's, and it happened to me when I was on, I was on tour with Guys and Dolls mm -hmm. back uh, when 9-11 happened. And inevitably, the ensemble men would get the better. If there was a better dressing room, the ensemble men got it. And I remember, because I was, I was uh, one of the equity deputies on the show, which means that I was responsible for making certain that things were, you know, equity standards were met, equity rules were obeyed. And one, of the, uh, one time I finally stormed up to the stage manager and said, why is it? That any time that there, and I'm sorry, I woke you up. <laughs> Byron just jumped. <laughs> woke up the dog. Um, why is it that this happens? Why is it that you know if there are two dressing room spaces that could house either the women or the men, the men get the nicer one? And I think it was when we were playing Wilmington, Delaware. The upstairs ensemble dressing room had recently been renovated. It was quite nice, but the downstairs room, which is where the women ended up didn't even have heat and we were playing when i moved in when we got into the space i thought why are there all these crew member crew members that were in there stuffing blankets into like holes in the wall and stuff because oh there was no heat back there and there were drafts that would come through oh it was the worst That's and the crazy. only way to access the deck was this rickety spiral staircase that went up from the basement and man i let him have it i I was sort of, I was really the gadfly on his rump the entire time. But who makes those decisions when you get to a theater? Is it the, the stage, stage manager, manager? I would assume. The stage manager makes the Not decision. Not the company manager, because no, they're lodging manager. and things yeah, like that. Yeah, they handle lodging and things like that. So, so this was sexism 
Yeah. And I was. guess I guess seeing being on the road and seeing lots of different periods of buildings that you're doing shows yeah. and they all have a, a huge varying of like oh this is a beautiful theater however the backstage or the mm-hmm. dressing room doesn't have a toilet or yeah they had to meet certain equity requirements yeah. so yeah. you know you always had a toilet but the toilet might not be very nice or working yeah or working. <laughs> yeah now, being out on tour right around 9-11 was a really it's sort of like working during was it covid during like pre or post or both? we had um Opened the show. We had done our, our tech and our our soft opening, I guess you'd call it, at West Point. Mm-hmm. Lots of cadets around. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was nice for just eye candy. Yeah. And then we came to Wolf Trap. Oh. And so I got to live at home, in my home in Vienna. Great stage well, to perform yeah. on. So Except wonderful. hotter than hellfire in the summertime. Same. And, you know. Did opera there. Same. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, the dressing rooms were lovely. Uh-huh. But, ooh, is it hot doing a show Speaking there. of bathrooms, didn't you guys... Go without bathrooms and went to like porta potties. The high yes. <laughs> Well, I was in one of the. If we back up just a second, the highest yellow, because Judy Kuhn was playing the other female role in the show, and she, her contract requirement was that she had her own dressing room. Little Donna got pushed off into what was the handicap shower, so they put like a a, a table in there and lights and everything like that, but it was a shower. And Signature's old building, the garage, was having major plumbing issues at the time, and I came in one day, and basically the sewer system had backed up through the shower drain and gotten everything in my dressing room. No. Yeah. Poopy. No. <laughs> it's poop water. Poop water is And then you have to show say. up that night presenting your opening act one or whatever song. Well, I had like this real cushiony um, um, mat that I would stretch out and nap on on two show days and that got ruined because uh, I certainly wasn't going to try to wash it mm-hmm. uh, yeah, mm. so uh, Judy allowed me to share her dressing room while that was going on uh, but yeah craziness so where were we before we, we got off on poop water D- uh, guys, guys and dolls dressing guys and rooms, dressing rooms. Um, yeah so uh, that went on and I remember when we were a lot of the times what we were dealing with was having to move from one venue to another Mm-hmm. And you usually had a day where you know you moved and the set was being broken down. It was hard on the crew because they had to break it down and then like jump on a sleeper bus, drive to wherever they were going because they couldn't fly. They had to go with the, the set. Of course, yeah. And I remember we had a really tight turnover. We were playing, I think it was Grand Rapids, and we had to be, I want to say in Sacramento mm-hmm. the next day. And this was arena-produced tour? Uh, Arena did not produce it. They had done the original production, production, and then it got picked up for the 50th anniversary of the okay. show. I was never clear on that. So, yeah, yeah go but ahead. it was Arena's production then with certain stuff, most of the same cast. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were anxious to get the set broken down as fast as they could. When you have this happen, you're like, the props are disappearing as soon as you come off stage with one. They snatch it out of your hand and go stick it where it needs to go to, in order to travel. So I knew they were going to try to do everything they could to snip a minute here and snip a minute there. But there are rules. Like you, you can't, half hour is sacrosanct. You're not a now allowed to cut five minutes off half hour because you want to put the show up early, you know, to save five minutes. You can't shave minutes off the intermission. 
you know, there, there are rules about that because right. we need that time as actors to get ready, to make a costume change, or do whatever it is we need to do. And I remembered hearing that they were going to attempt to start the show five minutes early, which would have cut five minutes into the actor's half hour. So I went upstairs in my General Cartwright outfit uh, and stood behind the stage manager, about 10 feet behind him, and just waited. And he was getting ready to call play. I saw him pick up, he had already called two minutes at seven minutes, and was picked up the microphone and was getting ready to make the call for places and happened to catch my eye. And I turned my wrist up and pointed at my wristwatch. And he he hung up the microphone, and I know he was cursing me, but it was wow. like, that was my job, you know? Well, and thank God for people like you, because everyone will, like, you're over there a barrel. There are always shenanigans, mm-hmm. always shenanigans. Producers are trying to do whatever is going to be economically the most feasible for them, yeah. to save them a dime, to save them a minute, to do whatever it is, and you have to... You kind of have to know what are the questions to ask. Um, I've gone toe-to-toe with people over safety issues. I've gone toe-to-toe with people over um, uh, trying to put in a rehearsal between two, two on a two-show day, yeah, okay. trying to put in an understudy rehearsal. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you can't do that. You can do a put-in, but that's it. Yeah, you can do an emergency put-in, but you can't do an understudy rehearsal. Mm-hmm. It's not allowed because you have to have X amount of time. So, God, yeah, they they will get away with anything they can do. Right, and you just have. So. And the thing is, is it takes old heads like me mm-hmm. who don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not frightened of somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, that I'm willing to go in and make an issue out of it. Um, I I once hollered at a stage manager who did not call a hold when uh, a trap door was left open on stage mm-hmm. during a set change that then actors came in during the blackout as the lights were coming up and I'm standing in the wings going, hold, 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 hold! Because they were walking toward this big open gap yeah. in the stage. And, and we've, we've seen how that can turn out. Yeah, and, and they were trying to tell me later, well, if, even if they'd stepped in, it was just a step down, I said, a step down can still break an ankle. Right, break a tooth, break you know, anything. Anything. It's just you don't do that. Well, I, my hand was on the on the hold button. No, you call the hold. Wow. So, yeah. Um. <clears throat> what? Um, are there any other things that you can think of that just make just stick out in your mind? You've done so many things. Um, you were, didn't you do the, uh, I know you've done Ursula twice, mm-hmm. is it? Yeah. You did Ursula in Tennessee, was it? Uh, in Alabama. Alabama Shakespeare. Alabama Shakespeare, yeah. How was that experience? I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, that Ursula actually got to fly uh-huh. when I did it at only, uh, only The Mermaid Flew. But uh, the director was having issues at Alabama. He said, you know, I, I wish that I could have you make a big appearance um, the problem is, is that they had this big set piece that was my lair, and he said, if we, it comes on well before you come on, so you'd have to sit behind it or stand behind it the whole time, and I don't want to have to have you do that. I said, I don't mind flying, and he said, are you serious? I said, if the costume, which I think weighed about 40 pounds, can be flown, I'm game to fly. 
So they flew me in, and I loved it. Was it the first time you've ever? First time I'd ever flown, and wow. I adored it. It was I, I would do it again, and it was a very simple fly. It's basically I came in upright. It wasn't like you know I had to lean over and like flatten out like I was swimming. I just drifted in grandly with all these tentacles hanging down, and then they lowered me to the floor, and you know I just put my feet down. And, but the fun part was is that I had this very involved makeup and wig for it. Mm -hmm. um, and I had my own makeup guy and everything, which was great. But as soon as I was sort of in my, my base costume, the fly guy would come down and put the harness on me, which was big and heavy and all that. And then everything got dressed over that. Then I would make my entrance, do my first number, go off stage, and they had to strip me down again. Mm -hmm. And take off a fly rig because they didn't fly again and both times that I did Ursula it was difficult for me to use my dressing room once I was in the costume because it didn't fit didn't fit that's exactly right didn't fit couldn't go downstairs couldn't you know I took an elevator at Olney but my dressing room if I was in it there was room for nobody else in the dressing room so they set up a little area for me right by the elevator with a tall stool because they couldn't sit in a normal chair so I'd park myself on the stool, and I have photos of myself with my reading glasses on reading. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed doing the show both times. It, were, it was fun both times. It's one of those killer parts that I thought, you just can't be any hammier. It mm -hmm. just was so much fun. And um, I, I know, I think one, it was one of those times. There, there's so many ways that things can go wrong when you're in a big costume like that. And one of the things that I had to do in Alabama was they opened a trap door and I sank down into the trap door and for some reason the script called for Ursula to lose her tentacles when this happens. So my two eels would grab my tentacles because I'd slid out of the bottom of my dress and the trap door would close and they would haul the tentacles off stage. It was like I'd been, you know, they'd scalped all my legs off. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple times when the, they couldn't get them unfastened. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't go down the trap, or the trap didn't open, or it jammed, or something like that. And there was always some sort of communication to let us, you know, something isn't right. So I remember one of the times that they couldn't get the legs off me, or they, the, the thing jammed. One of my eels was very strong. And he basically grabbed me, and costume, and everything, and dragged me off stage, keening, Mama, 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 Mama. <laughs> I got in the wings and I couldn't get up. I mean, first of all, I couldn't get up because of the costume, but I was screaming, laughing because it was so funny. Oh my god! Oh my god. And I, I love stuff like that. I live oh. for it. So that's, that's hysterical. Um, well, I mean, thank you for spending some time talking about all this stuff with us. Yeah, uh, it's, it's always a joy. <laughs> reminisce about all these and we didn't even get oh I, I will bring one more memory up because oh I'm so glad this came back what Allegro oh god the garage uh-huh you played <laughs> you played um three a, characters a possible suitor for Harry Winter yeah. with cookies yeah that brought in I, wasn't that my line cookies he said fine cookies fine yeah. fine cookies I just <laughs> And you turned to the audience with like a plate of cookies, a huge glass, huge glasses, on, and you were like, because <laughs> <laughs> it was nothing else I could. That, and the thing was, is that 
both my other characters had had fabulous costumes and great lines uh, and everything, but the cookie lady was just uh, kind of sad. But it was, we would always die backstage when Harry would be like, and she baked cookies. Fine cookies. Fuck. Fine. <laughs> fine cookies. Like, how fine were the cookies, Harry? Uh, you know, it's one of those cringy moments on stage where you just feel like egg is dripping from your face and there's not a thing you can do about it. We... I have done more shows where I felt like I was throwing myself face first into a brick wall night after night after night, and that's all you can do. Yeah. At your job. Joe Pietro did the, the redoing of that. And Joe's a brilliant writer, um, but... But, you know, he was finding his way with this very dated piece. And, and it was, but had a huge cast, yeah, too, in the yeah. original production. Very difficult to do. and But there were some lines, I think, that made the board that got cut, and we would put them up and or <laughs> add to them. And, like, Harry was coming on to April Har at one point, and she, she said, Joe, I'm a mother. <laughs> and I would always say, that's all right, I'm a motherfucker. <laughs> and you just said that yeah. on your podcast. Oh, I say fuck all the time. Oh, it's well fine. Then. It was um, only the woman who taught Cotillion who didn't want fuck in the thing. Oh, so I it was just, fine. I, I remember so many. Of, do you remember how many? We all died the same way. All the people that had to die on stage uh, the basically like, had a heart attack. They gripped their arm and made like. There was wind faces. and then lights. And then wind would, yeah, wind and lights. And, then, and so that was, they were dead. Yeah. And then, do you remember Dana? God rest her soul. You talking about Lego still? Yeah. yeah. Just such a beautiful costume show with that sort of. Greg Barnes. Was it like tans yep. and yep. beiges? So, I had the most beautiful dove gray walking suit that I started the show in because I sang the first line of the show and I had this beautiful suit with a fitted little jacket and a little kick train and this big hat. Uh-huh. And I felt like a million bucks. And I remember the first time that the lights came up on me when we were doing costumes. Eric said, you look just like your mother. And I said, I do, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> was Lori... Sailor. Sailor. Yep. Yeah. She was yeah, the lead in that. The and then, then Tracy was... Tracy uh, Oliveira. And Will. <clears throat> and I had a song cut. Yeah, you did. It's fine. Right. You had it's song. not the first time. You played the best friend. You always yeah. played the best friend. I was always I remember friend. you talking about that when we did... Uh, when we did uh, Highest Yellow, that the best friend character that you played was the best friend to Jason Daniels' yeah. character. And you said, I feel like all I do is stand here with my hands on my hips like super friends. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's it was a really tense moment, but it's funny in retrospect. Yeah. Well, I, I had a song. So if you're the best friend, you're going to get your song cut because, uh-huh. you know, in a new Because happens. Because I had a song cut from Highest Yellow as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you did. But one of my favorite lines got cut from Allegro as me as the best friend because I was like, "Hey, smell me." Do you remember that? Yeah, smell me. Yeah, because yeah, I was about to go on a date and I said, "Well, hey, smell me." They cut it because, and I was like, "This is my best line, yeah. guys." Brilliant Come stuff. On. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Lost, lost <laughs> in Arl, the cabaret uh, yeah. of cut songs. Well, Donna, we love you. Um, we will. Uh, can't wait to see you when you get back to the stages in the new year or sometime before if something pops up. Um, if we go, because honestly, theater tickets are so expensive, we may not be able to afford to see I you. I hear you. We're going but, to sell one of these puppies. Yeah, hopefully uh, people will somehow get it together and figure out ways to stream things and have live tickets. I don't know if that'll happen. And actors will get paid for both. Yeah, there absolutely. <laughs> All right. Bye. We love you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us, Donna. We had a great time. Um, 
So glad you can make it over and talk all about all those memories and experiences. And it's just good to see you, too. Um, you'll also be able to catch Donna in our holiday season as a special guest, so look forward to that. Um, so thanks again to all of our Patreon uh, subscribers and sponsors. Uh, we really love and appreciate you. If you want to become a Patreon sponsor, the link is in the podcast notes to become one. Thanks so much, and we will see you all next week. Bye!